You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, Lacrosse is at it again with a new line of lace-up hunting boots, the Navigator Series. And in that Navigator Series, there are two models. There's the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. To find out more information about this new Navigator Series, visit lacrossefootwear.com. Welcome once again to the Coffee and Deer Show. Appreciate you joining us today. I'm excited about today's show. I'm going to be uh, talking with my friend Joel Webster from the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and some really important and what I would describe as some shocking work uh, that they're doing, some things that they uncovered about public lands that I think will catch your attention. Uh, Just a quick reminder, if you're not a member of the National Deer Alliance yet, please do that. Very easy and it's also very free. Just go to the National Deer Alliance website at nationaldeeralliance.com, click the join button, and you'll get signed up to get our OnWatch newsletter, which comes out every Wednesday, as we refer to it as the USA Today of Deer News. So make sure you check that out, and we'll also keep you informed of things happening in your neck of the woods that impact deer hunters in the hunting industry, and sometimes even ask you to help weigh in and work on those issues. And we're going to talk about one of those issues here. Uh, in in just a couple of minutes. So uh, one other thing I want to mention is right now we're running a promotion with Savage Arms and we're giving away a very nice Savage Model 110 308 rifle and I'd love to be the one that gets in touch with you and says hey you won this rifle. That is also free. You can sign up for that on our website as well so don't miss out on that. So with that uh, Joel it's great to have you on the show. Uh, You and I have been working together for a few years now and uh, not to embarrass you, but I've been a big fan of your work, and you're working on some of the uh, really most important things going on in conservation that a lot of people, it's not on their radar screen. And so I'm going to give you a chance to talk about that a little bit. So, for example, your title is Western Lands Director at Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. But if you're somebody that lives on the East Coast, for example, you may not have any idea of what we're about to talk about today with what's going on with some of our Western lands and how you as a citizen of the United States are being kept off of land that you have a right to be on. Uh, So before we dive into that too deeply, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and then uh, if you don't mind transitioning into your role at TRCP. Sure, thanks Nick and, and thanks for having me here today. It's a privilege. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the Western Lands Director at the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, or TRCP. We're a, a national uh, conservation organization that's working to guarantee all Americans a quality place to hunt and fish. And um, we have 60 partner organizations that, that we work with in, in terms of in, in, in how we go about trying to uh, achieve our mission. And National Deer Alliance is 
um, a great partner as, as part of that. Um, and I, um, as I mentioned and you mentioned, uh, work on Western public land issues. I'm based in Missoula, Montana. I grew up out west, um, big deer hunter. And uh, one of the issues that is a really big Western issue, but it's also a national issue, is, is access. And when you look at public lands, there's 640 million acres of public lands in the country. Most of them are out west, but there's quite a bit of public land out east and in the Midwest as well. Um, and over the course of the past couple of years, we've been working um, with OnX, which is a digital mapping company that makes app applications for, for smartphones as well as um, chips that go into handheld GPS units to tell you where um, you are on the landscape. We've been working with them to uh, identify the acreage of landlocked public lands um, in the West, so, so public lands that are entirely surrounded by private land and where you actually do not have the ability to get to those public lands without permission from um, one of those private landowners. And we've really worked to un uncover uh, that issue. Yeah, I'll say when you say uncover, I mean, that's, that's uh, a bit of an understatement. And um, yeah, Joel is a big hunter, by the way, and he has showed me some trail camera pictures in recent years that have had me excited. Although I've yet to see those, those same animals uh, on the ground. So we've got to work on that part of it. And I know you're going on a trip to Idaho here, as, as we talked about, which I'm sure you're excited about. I'm a little jealous. Uh, my background today is in honor of our archery season opening in Pennsylvania tomorrow. So we're a little bit behind a lot of the country. Many of you have already been out there and been after it. And a lot of it, especially in the West, on public lands. And you uncovered 6.35 million acres of landlocked public land. So in the East, a lot of times people look at 100 acres and they say, that's a nice piece of property. Um, not really the way it works out West. And when you're talking about millions of acres, that should be shocking. And so that's the headline, but why don't you explain how you got to it and maybe even explain, like one of the things I'm fascinated by is this whole corner issue and those types of things. So you're the expert here. Why don't you take us through that? Yeah, thank you. And so this actually all started a couple of years ago and we just rolled out a, a report on state landlocked lands. Um, but last year we rolled out a report on federal landlocked lands. And so um, those federal lands being BLM, Forest Service, Bureau of Reclamation, Park Service, and Fish and Wildlife Service lands, and found last year that there's over nine and a half million acres of those lands that are landlocked. And then this year we looked at state lands. And so um, your state trusts, state, state parks, um, state wildlife management areas, as well as um, department, State Department of Transportation lands, and found that um, there's you know, 6.35 million acres of landlocked lands there. And I mean, that's what, 15.87 million acres total, which is pretty mind blowing when you think about it. And, and what, so basically um, Onyx did the analysis and they, you know, because they provide hunters with detailed information about, actually, let me back up. I'm just going to sort of talk about um, like how we really even sort of came to this place where we thought that this was important. And um, so like 10 years ago, most people use paper maps to uh, 
to basically figure out their, where they wanted to go access public lands. You'd, you'd, you'd unroll your paper, paper map, you'd, you'd be like, here's a road, here's public land. And, and generally, you didn't have a GPS that told you where you were in proximity to those public lands. And so you'd drive to a trailhead or drive to these larger areas of public land. And then technology started putting maps onto GPSs. And as a result of that, there's these smaller parcels out there um, that are oftentimes a few thousand acres. And these GPSs enabled people to figure out when they're driving down a dirt road, when they would cross through those smaller parcels of public land. And, um, and so they'd, they'd, people figured out, oh, I could just park here and walk in, in a way that previously, if you're using a paper map, you just weren't sure well, man, am I really on public land or I'm on private land? And, and as a result, like, people just didn't try to access some of those lands because they weren't sure if they were trespassing. And, and that's really what GPS technology has done, is given people the ability to um, access a lot of these smaller parcels. But it's also made them really aware that there's parcels that they can't get to. And, um, it's those, and that's really sort of generated a lot of exposure to um, to this whole landlocked issue. And so um, that's something that came about, you know, through these technologies and, and through conversations with land, with um, like lawmakers and sportsmen, everybody's kind of became aware of this and we're asking questions about it, but nobody really knew how many acres were landlocked. And so Onyx has been doing sort of back to where I was, um, they've been developing their app to help sort of make it as good as possible. So, you know, where you know, make the surface, maps as good as possible, make the road systems as good as possible on their, on their app. And so we teamed up with them um, to be like, let's figure out how many of these landlocked parcels are actually out there. And so they developed an algorithm that they would run on their computers that would then populate and say, here are the parcels that do not touch a road. Um, and, and what I mean by that is it doesn't matter if it's 100,000 100, acres or 100 acres, if there's not a road that touches that parcel anywhere. It is defined as landlocked. And, and so through that, um, last year, we, um, they found that over 9 million acres of federal lands um, are landlocked. And then this year, 6.35 million acres of state lands are landlocked. And there's certain places in the West. Um, so like Montana, for example, has over a million and a half acres of landlocked federal land and a million and a half acres of landlocked state land. So three million acres of land that sportsmen otherwise would be able to use for hunting are inaccessible. In Wyoming, um, over three million acres of federal lands are landlocked and over a million acres of uh, state lands are landlocked. So that's over four million acres in the state of Wyoming. And a couple other states, just real quick. In Nevada, 2 million acres on the federal side are landlocked. And then Arizona and New Mexico both had over 1.3 million acres of landlocked state lands. And so these are like, we're talking big um, acreages here. And, uh, you know, the largest parcel that we found that was landlocked is in Wyoming. Um, and it's over 30, it's like 35 square miles. It's 20, about 22,000 acres um, of land owned by all Americans, every listener here um, owns that land, but yet um, it, there's no permanent access to, the, to, to those acres. And so you have to get permission from the landowner in order to access it. Yeah, and one of the things that stood out to me is, well, I guess I, guess I knew about it, but until I physically was there and saw it and we talked about it, and what I'm referring to is 
Last year at your Western Media Summit, I had an opportunity to come and take part of that. And um, we actually, we were in, uh, we were in Montana and you took us on a field trip to a place that is a corner where these lands come together. So explain what that means that, that uh, you, you can't just step over a corner to access a piece of property. Sure. And this has, this goes back to the history and how the West was settled and um, but imagine a checkerboard and, and on that checkerboard, all of the red squares are private and the black squares are public. And so those, um, and each one of those squares is a square mile and they're touching at every corner, but they don't overlap anywhere. And um, there's millions of acres across the West that are touching at the corner and nowhere else. And there's really a debate about an issue called corner crossing, wherein um, the public would sort of hop over that corner from one corner of, of public land to the next as a means to accessing those sections. And that's something that, um, you know, a lot of states have really sort of warned against because it's not, they, they do not think it's legal, although it's, it's really sort of unclear. And so they're, um, but it's, it's generally accepted as not a legal form of access and, um, and, but there's millions of acres. And, and the reason that those acres exist like that is because when the West was being settled, um, there were a number of bills passed in Congress that, um, were focused on getting the railroads across the country. And that was, you know, the primary sort of modern form of, transportation during the day and they could connect the country with the railroads, then um, it would really help with westward expansion. So they gave um, those railroads alternating sections on 25, for 25 miles away from the tracks across um, the country. And so these, these railroad companies amassed millions of acres of land, um, but they left behind this legacy of these checkerboard lands where um, the acres that were not granted um, oftentimes remained public, uh, while those lands that were private um, and became in the hands of the railroad were then sold off subsequently to other uh, individuals or companies. And, and so it's left this legacy on the landscape that's really created a lot of access challenges that we're still facing today. Yeah, and I think another thing I learned as part of that, beyond just what seems like um, the craziness of not being able to step over a corner is that some of the land, the, some of the private landowners that really control the access to these great tracts of land, not only are they not allowing you to access it, which I have a real moral uh, dilemma with, they're running, they got fitted hunts and things on these properties that you and I own. Um, I don't know that that's, I think that might be more the exception than the rule, but tell me, tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, I mean, those lands are open to the public if you could get there. And, um, you know, a lot of them do have outfitting because if you can access them and you have a commercial use permit, you can, you can use them for outfitting. I mean, there's a lot of landowners out there that do allow access. Um, there's other ones who don't. And, uh, you know, we certainly um, we want to encourage programs that um, help landowners make their lands available to the public. And, 
um, you know, on the good actor side, there's a lot of, you know, every state in the West, with the exception of Nevada, has a state um, walk-in access program where those state fish and wildlife agencies um, work with landowners to enroll their properties in, in programs that make them available to the public. And a lot of states have actually started looking at um, landlocked public lands behind um, those private lands and have looked at properties that actually can provide access to these landlocked lands as, as a possible solution or part of the solution um, to the landlocked challenge. But there's definitely um, conflict between landowners and sportsmen in a lot of places. And I think as um, you know, time's gone on and, and properties have turned over. You've had people from out of state who've purchased land who don't necessarily, you know, have the same values about public access as those who, you know, have been there for a long time, I think has resulted in some, you know, additional conflict in, in the last couple of decades. And that didn't really exist there before, um, you know, where you have, have this. But there's also good stuff going on. There's really good landowners, too, that are making their lands available. And these programs, I think, really help with that because they'll provide financial incentives to landowners, but also protections to them in terms of liability. Um, you know, where if somebody were to hurt themselves on their land, they wouldn't get sued, they couldn't get sued for it. Um, things like that, that, that make it easier for those landowners to make their lands available. Yeah, I mean, it's not everybody's a bad actor. Uh, there's certainly, there, there are certainly some of them out there. Uh, and I hear you, I hear you. But it's, a, it's, you know, it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's not right. And it seems like it should be a simple fix. So since we're talk, talking about fixes, uh, tell us a little bit about what, what you've been doing, what TRCP and some of your conservation partners are doing, and then maybe just wrap that up with how can people watching help be part of that process? Yeah, you bet. Um, well, one of the things that Onyx and TRCP have been doing is helping to make this information more available. I mean, first uncovering um, actually specific information about the problem. Like people knew that landlocked lands were an issue. Nobody really knew to what extent. Um, this project has really been focused on um, highlighting that challenge. But then now we're trying to help those agencies um, address it. And, you know, one of the tools that, that they have at um, their disposal is the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which uses receipts from offshore oil and gas development royalties. Um, and, and this fund then channels dollars up to $900 million a year back into um, conservation and access projects. And just last year, um, sportsmen were successful in convincing Congress to reauthorize that program. And in that program, um, 3% or um, a minimum of $15 million or a maximum of $27 million annually must be used to provide um, recreational access to public lands. And those dollars are directly um, aimed at helping to fix this issue and other access challenges on public land. So we're really excited about that. But um, one, of the, one of the sort of remaining um, pieces that needs to be put together is um, sort of helping the federal land agencies understand where their landlocked lands are. And I know that Onyx has been working with the Forest Service. They've been working with the BLM to actually help them um, get a better handle on where their landlocked lands are. But, but one of the things that still needs to be done that we're working on is, um, so the BLM and the Forest Service and other agencies, they own 
they've purchased like road easements across private land or they've acquired them over the course of the last hundred years. And, and what I mean by this is, you know, when you, when you're on a highway and then there's a connecting road, um, like a dirt road that connects you to, to public land, oftentimes those connecting roads cross private land. And uh, historically those agencies have acquired um, access rights across those private lands. And so those are public roads that cross private land. Well, um, you know, back in the day when the Forest Service, for example, was building a lot of roads like in the 60s and 70s and 80s, um, access really wasn't a concern. Um, people felt like they had pretty good access to public lands. Landowners were generally, you know, made their lands available. And so when the Forest Service was building roads, uh, they oftentimes would secure easements across that private land, but not always. And now we find ourselves in 2019, uh, the Forest Service has 37,000 easements on file, but 32,000 of them remain in file cabinets in paper. And so they have no way of like pulling up a map on their computer and being like, hey, um, you know, where do we not have access rights across private land? And if they don't have that information at their fingertips, it's really hard for them to prioritize, you know, how they can be um, acquiring, sort of where they can be, you know, focused on acquiring access or maintaining it where there might be a road where there's no easement and it goes across private land and they think it's a public road, but it's actually not. And that's the other side to this where there's some places where they're currently accessible, but it's really just because the landowner has made those lands accessible. So that's one thing that we're really focused on right now is trying to get the agencies, the resources they need um, to get a really crystal clear understanding of um, you know, what roads are public, what roads are not, and where they should be focusing their limited dollars on securing that access, um, both from a management perspective, making sure that they've got access to those public lands to you know, do management of those public lands, but also that hunters and anglers um, have access for our recreational pursuits as well. And so that's a really big thing. Um, also, one more thing, um, you know, supporting some state programs too. One of the things we found is oftentimes state lands and federal lands that are landlocked, they're touching. And so you might have a square mile of state land connected to 2,000 acres of BLM land, but they're all landlocked. And so if the federal agency um, would acquire access to that BLM land, then those state lands would become accessible. But also if the state lands were to sort of through a state program uh, were to become accessible, then those, but they were to sort of do a project to open those state lands then those federal lands would become accessible. So it's really interlinked. And so there's some programs at the state level right now that are really exciting. State of Montana has been a leader on this. Um, they put together some programs that give both the Montana Department of Natural Resources and uh, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, um, the ability to, to secure easements across private land, and so they could um, secure access to those state lands, um, which then oftentimes will make, you know, federal lands accessible as well. So that's something that we'd like to see more of uh, across the region as well. Um, but for folks who are interested in this issue and want to learn more about this project and what they can do, I encourage them to go to uh, unlockingpubliclands.org. We've got a website um, that has both of our federal and our state reports on it. It also has a real great breakdown on the landlocked issue and what you can do with an opportunity to, to sign up and take action on this important issue and, and stay informed on what more you can do to make your public lands accessible. 
Well, we're certainly glad that you're working on it, Joel. You really, you are the expert leading this work out there. Um, and I know you're, you're humble about that, but it's true. <laughs> One of them. I'm yeah. working on it. Well, we, we, uh, yeah, not certainly not the slight, all the partners that work on it, but, um, you and TRCP have been in a leadership role there and on X maps. I want to mention, um, as well, uh, has, has been great. I was just on mine this morning, tidying up some of my, uh, hunting spots is what I, what I use it for. It's a great app, but they're a great company. Uh, Show a lot of leadership beyond just selling people the app, which is great. Um, yeah, so, they've been great. Yeah, absolutely. They've been great on this issue. Yeah, yeah. And I've had uh, I've had Wit Fosberg, the CEO of TRCP, on before talking more broadly about what TRCP does. And now, uh, if you saw that show, you've had a chance to see um, down down in the weeds a little bit on some specific programs. And this is just one of many that TRCP is working on. So, Joel, I thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for your leadership on this critical issue, making sure that people have good places to hunt because if they don't uh, and they can't get access to, to property that they own as being part of the public, then that makes it hard for us to keep them hunting as well. So thank you for your good work on that. And thanks again for being on the show.